0: I'm going to have Derek uh, Thomas come up, not the linebacker. Uh, he is not resurrected. I hope he does someday. But this is another Derek Thomas, uh, and uh, he is a he's a missionary to Lithuania. He has the Bible. He is a uh, is the, was is the president of the Kiev uh, Bible Institute, and uh, he and Julie have been there for uh, over 20 or over not there. He's been there for now 10 years, haven't you? So uh, he will tell you more about the ministry. But uh, this our brother Derek, uh, some of the monies, just so you know, I don't know if you know this, but some of the monies that we were able to give came to you. So you already got little for the relief. Uh, so Heartland's behind what he's doing already. So before you, even steps up here, I just want you to know, uh, there's some missionaries, I kind of put them up, and they're like, well, you know, we'll just listen and see, and we'll pray. I'm right, I'm behind this guy. This, this brother is the real deal. And so I can tell you that right up front. Um, so... Uh, he's not on a trial basis, so just uh, just uh, he is he's doing a good work there in uh, Ukraine and Kiev. We used to call it Kiev. I don't know how that changed, but now it's Kiev. And uh, and so maybe you can enlighten me on that. So uh, he's going to come and share the field, and he's going to come and preach to us. So give him a good HBF welcome tonight as our brother Derek comes and and uh, gives us an update.
1: Well, it is a blessing uh, to be with you here this evening, and uh, my wife Julie, we just celebrated yesterday our 36th year of uh, marriage, so uh, I know what you're thinking. I already know what you're thinking, Brother Derek, you're so, so young, how could it be 36 years, isn't that what you're thinking? We got married in the third grade, all right, so that's how that worked out, makes me younger, right? All right, you guys get that? (laughs) I grew up in the Lee Summit area here, and uh, so very thankful for uh, just the opportunity to be here with you this evening and uh, had an opportunity to pastor for a while in Raymore, Missouri, before God called us uh, back over to Eastern Europe. And I want to share with you a little bit tonight about our ministry and what God was doing right before the war and some, uh, I think, just some fascinating things. And then what's been going on since the war began, which is even more fascinating. And uh, to be honest with you, some of the things that are happening in Ukraine, I wouldn't be able to believe it uh, if I wasn't seeing it with my own eyes. I would have never dreamed that God could do what he is doing. So we're going to hopefully have a good time tonight looking at some of that. By the way, the name Kiev, pastor, is uh, that's how you say it in Russian, Kiev. So K I E V. That's the way we grew up saying it, Kiev. But technically, and I mean by Ukrainian language, it's Kyiv, K-Y-I-V. So I'm trying to practice more and more to say Kyiv and not say Kiev because the Russian language right now is not as popular in Ukraine, and you can imagine imagine why as we as we talk about that tonight. All right, well, there you see a prayer card of Derek and Julie, and we've got some prayer cards. We'd love to give you one if you didn't get one. Here you see a little girl holding the Ukrainian uh, heart, the Ukrainian colors of the flag. Anybody know what those colors stand for? Come on, you guys are Missouri uh, educated right here. Show me state, Missouri school system. you got to be a little notch above the California school system, all right? But that is for the colors of the... Sky above, the blue for the sky above, and the yellow is for the fields of harvest, the sunflowers harvest. Ukraine is one of the top producing countries in the world for food. Uh, During the Soviet Union, Ukraine was called the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. And even recently, I've heard it referred to multiple times as the breadbasket of Europe. So as you travel across Ukraine, which is about the size of Texas, Uh, It is the largest uh, European country by size other than the uh, European side of Russia. So it's very large as far as geographically, but you'll see a lot of harvest there. I think number one producer of sunflower products in the world, but you'll see wheat, you'll see buckwheat out there, you'll see corn just growing everywhere. And what's been very fascinating is since the war began, uh, Russia has really worked hard to diminish the uh, the harvest so you've seen them I've seen videos with harvesters uh, Ukrainian farmers out in the field trying to harvest the grain while the fields have been set on fire so the fields are burning and they're trying to get it before it gets burned I've seen where uh, they've mined Russian soldiers have mined the field so tractors harvesters hit the mines when they're out there trying to harvest they've had stories of uh, snipers, Russian snipers who shot at farmers trying to harvest. You've probably seen uh, over the last uh, few months where the Black Sea has been closed and Ukraine can't export. Uh, I've, I've read stories of harvests that have been stolen by Russia uh, from Ukraine, harvesters also that have been stolen uh, by Russian soldiers and sent into different parts of the Russian world. So It's been very, very difficult and really could cause next year, you could see a little bit of a food crisis in the world. So countries that are poor, especially in Africa and so forth, all of a sudden, if you don't have Ukraine's full harvest, it's going to make life difficult. And I think that's part of Mr. Putin's plan. He wants to use that uh, to manipulate things. Here you see a Ukrainian grandmother out in the field, and you see the smile. And Ukrainians are, uh, I would say, very... They're happy people in general. Uh, they seem to just be content with having their families and their places. They're, they're very warm, friendly. We'll invite you in. Uh, really much different. There, there is a difference between Ukrainians and Russians. Now, they are related. They're Slavic people. Uh, Poles are also a Slavic people, right? Uh, Bulgaria would be considered a, a, a Slavic people. Uh, Belarusians, of course, would be considered a, a Slavic people, but in general, uh, Russians, and I say this in love, but in Russia, they tend to be more nationalistic. And they tend to be very proud of their nationalism. They tend to be more aggressive. And I think that's some of what you're seeing right now. In Ukrainian churches, you'll hear some wonderful music. They love to sing. And it's really interesting. And some of the best music you'll hear traveling there and going to some of the different churches. Here you see the capital city of Kiev. And uh, anyone know how old that city is? Anybody want to take a guess? It's a little older than Kansas City. It's about 2,000 years old. All right? So uh, it uh, was an old Viking uh, trade route on the Napa River. Uh, it is, there's a saying that goes like this, that Kiev is the mother of Moscow. And so it is much older than Moscow. In fact, it's about... 700 years older than Moscow. Moscow's about started in about 1,300 years ago uh, with uh, Kyiv about 2,000 years ago. Here you can see a church uh, there in Kyiv that we started called Living Hope Baptist Church of Kyiv. This was from last Christmas, and we had our uh, Ukrainian service and our English service combined on Sundays. We had two services. We had one in Ukrainian, one kind of an international service in English, and you can see in the picture there uh, many different colors. So we have the guy right next to me is from Pakistan, and next to him is from India. Next to him is China. You can see girls in the back there from India. So there was a number of colleges and universities in Kiev, and we were doing an a, a, a international student ministry to them. And God had really blessed in that ministry, and we were really enjoying that ministry as well as our Ukrainian ministry. And Here's a lady from the Ukrainian ministry in the middle there named Tatiana, next to Julie. And I wanted to share with you about her. She did not come until she was invited the third time. So the third time she received an invitation, she came. And a few weeks later, she was saved. She received Christ. A few weeks after that, she shared with Julie on a Sunday. She said, you know, uh, before my salvation, I didn't really care to sing. Uh, but now I just can't sing enough. I love to sing. And uh, it's interesting how God puts a song in your heart. And uh, I was just there a few weeks ago. I heard, I could hear her singing and you could hear her voice very distinctively. She's not always exactly on on pitch, but you know what? God hears the song from your heart and she loves to sing. Pray for her husband, Alexander, uh, that he will come to Christ. But she is a jewel, a gift of the Lord. Here you see a young family, uh, Dima, there holding the baby Abigail with his wife, Erica, and uh, Dima had been uh, with us early on in the, in the church plant days, and then COVID came, and uh, he went back because things became very difficult there in Kiev with all the COVID rules and multiple months of shutdown, and uh, he and Erica were married. They had, uh, had their baby, Abigail, and uh, I came to him in June. I asked him because I was there in June, and I could tell the war, you're hoping the war's going to stop and, and come to an end. Uh, and I, but it became clear to me that the war is going to go on at least through this winter. Now, my hope is when we get to next spring or summer, I'm hoping there'll be uh, something that will come about about peace by that time. And I'm hoping it's in Ukraine's favor. So I invited Dima to come because we, were still, we still had a group. All the international students had left. Some of our Ukrainians, uh, Russians had left. And so we still had a group there that were meeting. But it was getting pretty hard to meet because I needed to be back here to travel for our fund, and I'll explain a little bit more of that in just a moment. Asked Dima to come, and Dima came. And so we started having live services again. I would do a service when I was in town, when I was there, but then the other Sundays I would video something, send something to try to keep things going. And Dima came, and they started holding services, and God really started doing a miracle. This was a service from a few Sundays ago when I was there, and, folks, there's around 100 people there in that room. And uh, many of those are lost. Uh, they come from a Ukrainian ortho- Orthodox background. And I like to say it this way you know, U- Ukrainians uh, need help, physical help, material help, but they're searching for hope. They- they're really looking for why you believe what you believe because they're- they know that life is temporary. You don't have to tell a Ukrainian that life is temporary, they know it's temporary. They hear the sirens. Most of them, if not all of them, have heard bombs that have hit somewhere in Ukraine. They've had loved ones that are serving in the army. Many probably loved ones that have even died or passed away. So they know life is temporary. So here they are. They're coming. We've seen some decisions for Christ, and we praise God for that. Pray for Dima as he leads the church there. And I'm very thankful for him and Erica uh, there in Kiev and for Living Hope Baptist Church and what God is doing through a very difficult time. Here you see the original reason that we went to Ukraine was for the Slavic Baptist Institute, and we just celebrated 25 years of ministry, and we praise God for the institute, for uh, various pastors and local church workers that have graduated from it. It has been a real blessing. And what we were seeing right before uh, really COVID and the war was a real movement of God towards missions. And I want you just to see something for a moment. Here you see the 1040 window, which goes over northern Africa to the Middle East. You can see it goes into Southeast Asia. Up above there where Kazakhstan. That is Central Asia, Kazakhstan on down to Afghanistan. And you say, well, what does this really have to do uh, with Ukraine? Well, if you look up, I'm not sure if I've got a pointer here. Oh, there it is. Here is the Black Sea right here. Right there is Crimea. So this is Ukraine right in here. So do you see how it sits right on the edge of the 1040 window. And one of the places where, God, there's going to be two places I want to show you. Just take a moment to do this. But uh, there's going to be this place right over here called uh, Tajikistan, and then there's going to be this place right down here called Laos. And through Ukraine, God opened doors to this area. Here you see Kazakhstan. This is Central Asia. There's Kyrgyzstan in the yellow, Tajikistan there in the teal, Afghanistan below, and uh, God led us to Tajikistan where we were able to do some ministry. We had about a, um, 10, 12 days of ministry, took some of our male students from our institute. We have two of those students praying about going to Tajikistan as missionaries. Tajikistan is Islamic. It is considered 97% unreached with the gospel. 97%. That doesn't mean 3% have been reached. That means 3% have the potential to hear the gospel, but 97% have no potential to hear the gospel. Now that that should stir us in our hearts to know that there are areas like that in the world that don't have the gospel. And I could tell you many more stories, but pray for our really three students that are praying about, about going there. Here is the country of Laos. One day we were in a session and a, and a man came to me, his name is Alex, and he's a church planner there. And he said, Uh, Brother Thomas, I've gone around to some different Ukrainian churches. I'm trying to get churches, pastors interested about the ministry in Laos, but I have a burden for Laos. I want to help train pastors in Laos for ministry. And someone had told me that I should come talk to you. And uh, would you be interested in coming with me to Laos? And long story short, we went to Laos and uh, God began the Laos Bible Institute, for which we're very grateful Laos is uh, one of five communist countries in the world. It's one of the top 20 most persecuted nations in the world. In fact, a couple of sessions ago, I asked the pastors that were there. We have anywhere from 50 to 70 men that are there. And I asked them, I said, how many of you have spent time in prison for your faith? And like 40 to 50% of their hands went up in the air. Can you imagine? That they had spent time in prison because of their faith. Every time I go there to teach, but when I get on that plane to come back, I'm the one who was taught. I was taught what it means to commit yourself, no matter the cost, to Christ. So pray for us in our sessions. We have another one coming up in January and how thankful we are for what God is doing there in the Lao Bible Institute. All right, here we go. This is currently where uh, Ukraine, now there you can see Ki- Kiev spelled the Russian way pronounced K-I-A-V, but K-Y-I-V. But this is right before the war. And uh, let's just look at a, co- note a couple of spots here. This area right here, it says Russian-occupied Crimea. So there, you, there that is right there in the Black Sea. Who knows when did Russia occupy Crimea? Anybody know? 2014, very good. Missouri school systems making a comeback right here tonight. All right. Uh, that's right, 2014. And then also this area right here, which is Donetsk, it shows, but that is the Donbass area. That also happened in 2014, where Russia um, really occupied it from that time. So those two areas were occupied. And really, there's been fighting in and around those areas since 2014. So really, Ukraine and Russia have been in war since 2014 but it just came to a whole nother level of intensity February 24th of this year. But you can see right here is Kharkiv. That is the second largest city in Ukraine. You can see the troop buildup that we're taking place from Russia right here. There's the border that Ukraine shares with Russia. Uh, but also you could see the potential from the Black Sea. Uh, also you could see this is Belarus right here, Belarus. You can see the border right there. And there is Ukraine's border. There is Kiev. And they, you started to see troop buildup just north of Kiev. And I mean a lot of troops. They were coming from far eastern Russia, military equipment. They set up uh, temporary field hospitals. When, I, when it became very serious to me is when I was reading they're bringing in blood and plasma into those areas. So you knew things were looking very potential. We had a man in our English service who worked for the State Department, and, and he would share with me, Derek, we believe this is going to happen. This is... They're going to invade, and uh, you, you really need to consider getting your wife uh, out of here. And they did invade, and when they did invade that February 24th, they came right down to the very edge of Kiev. This is Kiev region up here. I'm going to show you some pictures from there in a moment. We've been in that area. That was occupied. Some of those villages were occupied uh, by Russia for about 30, 35 days. Uh, they came in here. Kharkov became very close to getting taken in fact, when I say north of Kharkiv, I'm going to show you some areas where we were right up in there, close to the uh, close to the Russian border. Zoom this area right down in here was occupied by Russia for about six months. Uh, the city of Kherson, which is somewhere right in here, uh, was just liberated this past week. If you saw that, and uh, so Russia really kind of occupies right now this area, kind of right in here, somewhere right in that area, right there is what they are occupying with Crimea and Donbass. All right, when you look at pictures and you see pictures from Ukraine, if you were to remove the color, you would think you were looking at pictures from World War II. And that's literally how bad the damage is that you'll see. My mother uh, grew up in Liverpool, and as a child she can remember uh, when Hitler bombed Liverpool and they would go to the, the shelters to hide. She remembers that. And I always used to think, well, man, that was a long time ago, Right. Remember the old black and white movies, army movies, and everything you would see. But here, you know, you see things, and it's just amazing. You, this the destruction that's taking place. Uh, here, you see a maternity ward in the city of Mariupol uh, that was hit directly by a bomb. You see this woman right here, a pregnant woman, and a sad to report that she died, and her baby, the baby in her womb, died about ten days later. But, you know, you see maternity uh, wards bombed. You see schools bombed. You see just civilian uh, homes, apartment buildings bombed. It is really a terrible, terrible thing. Here you see a father holding uh, his dead son's hand that was killed by a bomb. This was just from a few, few weeks ago that took place. This is in that northwest part of Kiev region up north. Each one of these homes, apartment buildings, will hold between... Uh, 500 to 1,000 people, so it's estimated right now that in Ukraine, somewhere around 12 million people have been displaced from their homes, 12 million. The state of Missouri, we have what, about six point seven seven million people, so that's, that's what, you'd have to probably take Missouri, uh, Arkansas, maybe throw in Oklahoma to get up to 12 million, I don't know. But that's how many people have been displaced from their homes. Can you imagine telling everybody in St. Louis, Kansas City, right, Springfield, all the places in between, uh, and then you got to go down to Fayetteville and and Rogersville and all these other places and just say, hey, you got to go find a place to live. You don't have a home anymore. So that's what you're seeing. So you've got these mass numbers of refugees that don't have a home. Now, some of them have left the country. Uh, some maybe five million, maybe six million, I don't know the numbers. Some have come back in and then they'll leave. If things get a little bit better, they may come back, they leave again. But the number of them that have left have been women, and we'll talk and children. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We were in our apartment in June getting ready for a Sunday service. This is before Dima had come, and we were there. And that morning from my office, I heard three booms in the distance, about six fifteen, six thirty in the morning. And I went and looked out through the window, and I could see smoke in the center of Kiev coming up. And uh, it was an apartment building that had been hit. Again, there is no place that is safe right now. Uh, You've probably seen, it was about, what, a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday was not a good day in Ukraine, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, there were many of the Iranian drones, they called them kamikaze drones. Uh, They have about 80 pounds of detonation. Whatever they hit, just boom, it explodes. And uh, those were were hitting in Kiev. But we've gone across bridges, uh, and uh, we maybe go across the bridge at about 4 or 5 in the afternoon. That evening, the bridge detonates. Uh, We've gone through cities or close to cities. Later that evening, that city was hit. We were in the city of uh, Kharkiv uh, here on my last trip. It was in the evening, and we came outside about 9 o'clock. It was completely pitch black, and I mean black. And it was just hard to even see. You almost had to... Turn your phone on just to see where you were going. And this is a major, major city. But when we came out, not only was it pitch black, but the sirens are going off, warning you of impending missiles. We hurried to our car. We uh, drove outside the city because we were staying in a city of Poltava, about two hours uh, west of there. And 30 minutes later, after we left, the city was hit with a missile. So there's just really no place that is safe. Many Ukrainians are just living like this now for what, nine months, 10 months? They've been living this way. So it is a very, very hard and difficult time. This woman right here on the far left, uh, we were in her region doing some evangelism and giving out aid, and she wanted us to come see her home, which we did, and here's her home. So it was completely annihilated, and she shared her story, And part of her story was when the missile started flying that uh, she literally saw a missile hit her nephew and she said he just disintegrated right there in front of me. Then she said, I turned back to the house and my grandson was coming out of the house and his arm was missing. Her grandson did survive. But just, I mean, just things like this are just, I mean, where does she live, right? Her home is gone. All your personal artifacts, pictures. Can you imagine? You know how it is. got pictures you wouldn't want to lose or things that are special to you. Uh, you got your Lynn Dawson football, autographed football, right? Or you know what I'm saying. And you don't want to lose, but something like this, it's gone just like that. So many in Ukraine are, are experiencing this. Here you see a man crying. If you're between the ages of 18 and 60, the country is under martial law, so you cannot leave the country. You have to be available uh, to serve in the military. doesn't mean they're going to call you but you have to be available if needed, so they're not letting you leave the country, which I understand that. Uh, But I'll tell you this, most Ukrainians want to surf. They do. Let me tell you a couple stories. I remember reading right before the war, there was a grandmother named Svetlana. She was outside practicing with a rifle. And they asked her, well, why are you practicing with your rifles? She said, if the Russians are coming, I'm going to protect my grandbabies. Another man, he was an 80 year old grandfather. He went into the Ukrainian army and said, I want to enlist. Why do you want to enlist at your age, at 80? Because I'm going to fight for the freedom of my grandchildren. So, see, these people, and you know, my age and older, maybe a little bit younger than me, but they remember communism, they remember what it was like to live under that tyranny. And what they're saying is, I would rather die fighting for my freedom then go back to that. And listen, we can, we can respect that, right? That, that someone wanting to be free and even wanting to die for their freedom to be free. But that's what's happening right now there. Okay, so through our institute, Slavic Baptist Institute, we have a network of churches in the country and pastors that we've known, that we have relationships with, and that we are working through to help distribute aid. We had started a charitable fund called Living Hope for Ukraine It was set up more to help facilitate or promote uh, orphan children, Ukrainian orphan children, being taken into Christian homes. And I'm talking about Christian homes in Ukraine. So we might help in uh, get, uh, add an extra bedroom or help add a kitchen or something so that they would meet the qualifications to take the child into their home. But when the war started, uh, we began to use it for a different means and method, and that was to help distribute aid within the country, right next to me there in the tan coat is sergei he 's the director of our fund. These are some of the pastors that are there. by the way this pastor uh, well this pastor right here is a graduate of our institute this pastor right here is one of the teachers in our institute, and he wrote something very interesting uh, before the war started, and he sent it to our uh, our students, and he sent it to pastors, but he said something like this. He said, is this going to be a war with Russia, or is this only a rumor of war with Russia? He said, I don't know, but I know this. Christ warned us that in the last days, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, and what we need to focus on is whether it is a war or whether it's just a a rumor of war, that we put our focus on proclaiming Christ. And they have done that. And I praise God for that, even in such difficult times, they are proclaiming Christ. Here you see some other uh, pastors that we have and students that we have. This young man right here is a doctor in the uh, area of Kiev, and he has opened up a free clinic, and uh, just a real blessing to see. His wife's also a doctor to see what they're doing. This guy right here is Vitaly. Uh, He is a student, has a wonderful voice uh, we've been working with him, and uh, he actually has a vehicle that we've helped him with. The Slavic Baptist Mission has helped him with, and he is, he is driving and taking uh, different types of, uh, of drugs or medicines that people in some of that region, in Kharkov region, maybe the drugstore is closed, it's gone, maybe there's no public transportation. Some of these people, again, they were living under occupation of Russia for a while, so he helps to take medicines and aid deliver it to especially older people uh, that he's helping but i want julie to share does this microphone work right here i want julie to share a little story here about our friend vitali and uh, what she heard there from vitali all right go ahead sweetheart thank you church for
2: supporting and being a part of this we appreciate it and i want to take this opportunity from Ukrainian people to say thank you we go into villages we were there seven I was there 17 days in June and we had 26 opportunities to share about Christ and distribute aid and the Ukrainian people say please tell the American people thank you so on their behalf I just wanna thank you and also something that Vitaly shared he traveled with us while we were in Ukraine and it illustrates the hopelessness of the Ukrainian people, what they're going through right now. Vitaly is from Kharkiv, and they have been hit very hard. His own home was damaged by um, missiles. But Vitaly said that there was a man in Kharkiv whose home was hit and completely destroyed by a missile. He lost everything that he had, and he was so distraught that he went and he hung himself. And they are seeing... That um, you can see someone who doesn't have Christ, they look and they say, if this is all there is in this life, I don't want to live anymore. And the neighbors called the police. The police came and took the body away, and they shared that this was the sixth such case that day. And that's how the people, in, especially in Eastern Europe, that's the attitude that they're seeing there. So it's our privilege to go in and be able to present the gospel as we give out this aid.
1: So it's, uh, you know, you can imagine if you'd lost everything, lost your home, lost all your finances, even lost a spouse or a loved one, that you, if you didn't have Christ, where you'd come to this conclusion of, well, what's life worth living for? And especially if the Russians are coming, because let me tell you, the Russians aren't known for people of mercy, okay? And and if you look at some of the stories of Russian uh, soldiers and women And it's very, it's just terrible. It's very grotesque and sick and just hard to imagine. But these are some good men that are serving hard. This one right here uh, is a sweet brother. And keep him in mind because we're going to talk about a couple of uh, church plants that are going on. So here you see the country of Ukraine. This is Lutsk right here where uh, Sergei is, where our charitable fund is located. Right there, uh, Sergei had a Christian camp. And that Christian camp, we've converted into a refugee center, refugee center that will go through the winter. So we've winterized the camp by God's grace, and we have about 100 refugees that most of them come from the eastern parts of Ukraine uh, who are living there. But think of it also as a distribution point. So we might have aid that comes over from Poland, Warsaw, somewhere over in here. It might cross over and we get it from there. We've had it from other areas as well that comes up but a lot of it we're still able to buy in the country. And so we'll get the aid, we'll drive, we'll distribute it to these various areas of Ukraine, and it'll come, for example, here to Poltava, The church there in Poltava will take it, they'll break it down, and then they'll distribute it even closer to the edges of the war, uh, where the war is going on. So it's really been interesting to see what God has done. You see right here, we have about 1,000 tons of aid that we've helped to distribute Uh, Right here, you can see the Ukrainian uh, poverty level, the UN projects somewhere out of nine out of 10 Ukrainians are at or below the poverty level. And so again, you can imagine nine months of war. Uh, You know, I think Dave Ramsey says you need to have six months of expenses, right? Well, even if they had six months of expenses before the war started, you're into nine months now. (laughs) So how do they live? What are they living off of? You can imagine how difficult it is. There's the uh, eating uh, kitchen area to eat uh, at, the, uh, at the refugee center. See some of the children that are there. Uh, here in the chapel, you can see some of the drivers. I wanted to note one of the drivers here we have right here, Vlad, big, heavy set fellow, looks like a truck driver, doesn't he? And uh, he owned a trucking company, and he gave us two of his trucks to use uh, that all we had to do was maintain them, put gas in them, and so forth, but we could use them to help distribute aid. He himself would even sometimes drive, but he was not saved, did not know Christ. Well, this night that we were there, uh, we had an evangelistic meeting for the refugees there. About 70 or so percent of the refugees are not saved. So we had a meeting there, uh, again, evangelistic. At the end of the service, gave an invitation, and Vlad came down the aisle with tears just trickling down his cheeks and he came to receive Christ and the next morning he told me something has changed in my heart and uh, God, God had changed him. And listen, if there was never a war, I don't know that Vlad ever gets saved, right? I don't know that he ever comes to this broken place where, man, life is temporary. There, there, I am faced with death, the reality of death, and where is my soul going, right? You, you start to ask yourself these questions. So when I was over this past trip in uh, September, we would travel to areas like this. This is north of uh, Kharkiv, probably somewhere around 14 or so, 15 miles from the Russian border. And uh, you can see it's raining. One of the first times I'd ever preached, uh, holding an umbrella while I preached. But we probably had somewhere around 50, 60, 70 people that gather, and we come, we preach the gospel. Afterwards, we give out New Testaments, we give out aid. One of these one or two of these people came to uh, to one of our pastors and said, "Listen, would you start a Bible study here? There was no church in this village here, and uh, can you imagine a bible study a church being started during a time of uh, of war but that's what happened right here this this village area is probably about eight nine miles from the border with Russia, and uh, you can see here we had somewhere between twelve and uh, 1,500 people that showed up, and uh, just opportunity. We see Vitaly there is, is getting ready to sing, and uh, uh, Albina plays her, uh, her violin, and then we preach. We have about a 20, 25-minute gospel presentation, and I mean just telling them that, listen, God loves you and he proved his love for you, giving his son Christ. You're not saved by your religious works and your good works. It's only by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And just to, to present it is just a wonderful, thrilling thing. Afterwards, we give out aid, we give out New Testaments. Well, the mayor of this village came and she said, listen, I want to give you guys a building to start your work. And uh, we want to give it to you to use. And the pastor shared, well, listen, we're, we're not going to give out aid. We, we want to start something to help teach people the Bible. And, uh, and she said, that's okay, you've got your building. There's two church plants right there that are happening during a time of war. It's just, for me, I, I would have never dreamed of it. Here you see a village. This is back in that northwest area of Kiev region. They had been occupied for 30, 34, 5 days, and, and uh, this was in June, and probably uh, the size was around 100 or so, 7,500 people that showed up. So we did the whole thing, the music, the preaching of the gospel, afterwards the giving out of New Testaments and aid. And then usually what we do is we stay and we just talk to people, And, uh, you know, you give people hugs, you try to direct them more to Christ, you try to show them maybe verses in their Bible, where to read and so forth, hear their stories and just love on them for a while. Uh, While we were there, so maybe 20, 30 minutes after the meeting was over and aid had been given out, this little girl comes riding up on her bike and she's got this uh, bottle of milk that came from their milk cow. And she said, my mom wanted me to bring this and give this to you and tell you thank you for coming. And it really just breaks your heart, because you can't imagine, again, being under that occupation, their own poverty, where they are. You don't think they need that milk or could have sold sold the milk or bartered with the milk, uh, and yet they want to say thank you for coming. It was the greatest love offering I've ever received, just to be honest with you, and the sweetest milk I've ever tasted. You can see some of the New Testaments going out, and uh, they are... Uh, the colors there of the Ukrainian flag, and uh, we praise God for that. Uh, I wanted to share with you about this lady right here. Her name is Oksana, and uh, she came, and I want you to listen to what, what she said. She said this. She said, Before the war, I was an atheist, but now I find myself praying to God. Thank you for coming today. Please come back and tell us more. Now, listen. She lives in an area, again, it was occupied by Russia. She had heard the bullets flying, the bombs flying, all of that, the missiles, right, going overhead. All of a sudden, you've heard the story, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? When you're faced with eternity like that and that possibility, you can imagine the fear that would stir up in your heart. All of a sudden, there must be a God, and how do I get to And I think every man knows inside, right? Every man, I think, deep in his soul, if he's honest, knows that there's a God. I've got some illustrations on that, but we don't have time tonight. But I believe that to be true. And so pray for Oksana. I don't know that she's come to faith in Christ yet. Uh, I think she did. We've been to her village a couple of times with the gospel. I think there was a nearby village. I think she did go to a church service there once in a Baptist church. So pray for her. This group right here uh, of ladies and the one back there next to Julie, uh, Luda, and she's holding her grandson. First time we came to her village, I remember specifically she wanted to show me where the Ukrainian Orthodox Church was. And Ukrainian or- Orthodox churches are big, you know. They, they have the Catholic Church has nothing on the Orthodox Church. Okay, they're very ornate. What she was trying to tell me, she took me through a backyard, pointed me through some trees. She said, "There, do you see it? It's the new Orthodox church that we have." What she's trying to tell me is we are Christian. And we're a Christian village because there's our church, right? That's her, That was her thinking. She's trying to say, we're just like you. Well, we had an uh, evangelistic meeting in that nearby village, Baptist Church. Invited her to come, and she came. And that night I could tell she was under conviction. I spoke to her afterwards, and, uh, and, I, and I, we had, got, had a discussion. She said, I'm not ready to make any decisions tonight. I said, okay, well, we're going to be praying for you. You've got this New Testament. Read it. Come visit the church here, and I mean, I was having everybody pray for her uh, from Laos to, to all over praying for this woman to get saved. Well, we came back in, had another meeting on her street, and then uh, had another evangelistic meeting in that neighboring uh, Baptist church. And she came, and that evening at the end, she came forward uh, to receive Christ. I asked her afterwards, I, I asked her, I said, do you have Christ? Have you, you know, in other words, have you received Christ? And she said, yes, I have. And uh, this lady right there in the blue, uh, her name is Maria uh, in fact, earlier that day we had been on her street and we had preached the gospel and after the the meeting there uh, as we were giving out aid, she came and said i want to i want to know how to trust christ and then she came that night to the meeting listen I'm just saying these these people don't come to Christ if there's not a war I mean most likely, maybe some of them do but i'm just I'm just saying i, I don't know of anything that has that, that has caused people just kind of thrown them up on that very cliff of eternity and is making them see, I need answers because life is short, right? You know how it is here. You speak to people here. They see death as something very distant. Yeah, it's going to happen, but it's a long. It's not going to happen very soon to me. I don't have time right now for that. Well, there they're not saying I don't have time. They're listening and they want to know why you believe what you believe. So here you see, in fact, this is one of Vlad's trucks, I believe, you can see a load of aid about of every five-ton load of aid, five metric tons, that's about 11,000 uh, pounds, costs about $7,000. And so when we get a load like that, we'll ship it off in a truck like this. It's one of the trucks. And uh, we'll ship it to one of our contacts over there in Kharkov or down in Poltava, or maybe in Kiev, many different regions of Ukraine. And uh, we'll, we'll help bring the aid in. And then the, the churches there, these pastors, they'll take the aid, they'll break it down, And then they'll take it out to these various regions and distribute it with the gospel. That's what's amazing. Now, do we have to have aid to to preach the gospel? No. But I'm just saying this. When you have the aid, the door's a little bit more open. The heart's a little bit more open to listen. And these are people that are in need. Uh, We've gone to areas, I mean, greatly in need. Right here is a picture from Kharkiv. And look at that line of people. Do you see them lined up? All the way, those are people just, that's a massive line of people right there in line to get to receive help. The other, a few weeks ago, they they said they had 800 people who waited two hours in line for one loaf of bread. 800 people, two hours in line, they waited for one loaf of bread. But guess what they got to hear about that day? They got to hear about the bread of life, right? Right here they got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was in the city of Izum. How many of you have heard of Izum? Izum is south of Kharkiv. Uh, used to be probably about an hour and a half by car, but now bridges have been taken out. So, I mean, it, it took us a long time to get there. But we were there. They were under occupation for six months. They were occupied. In fact, they had only been freed five days when we showed up in Izum. They, in fact, there were three Russian soldiers that were killed like 30 or 40 minutes, something like that, before we got there. So it was kind of intense. In fact, we just came to the center of the city, the center downtown there, and we just, we, the, the Baptist church there had been directly hit by a missile. There's still somewhere around 17 to 20,000 people that live there. They have no gas. They have no electric. They have no water. So we came to the center of the city, and we said, listen, we've got aid. We want, to, we want to give, but before we do, we have some things we want to share with you. So gather, gather your friends, get people around. I mean, like that, we had a group, I don't know how big it was, 100, 150, 200 people, whatever. They gathered around, and then we just share the hope of Christ. Listen, that God loves you. Christ died for you. God proved his love for you. This life is temporary, but the life to come is eternal This life is faced with death. The the one to come that Christ has won the victory for by His blood is a life of eternity with Him in His peace. In fact, even while you're preaching, you can hear missiles hitting in the distance. And I had that happen multiple times. While you're preaching, they might be five miles away or seven miles away, but you can hear the missiles hitting. So again, I don't have to tell them that life is temporary. They understand that. When you're preaching, I can't think of a better sermon illustration than missiles. You've never had that great of a sermon illustration, have you, Pastor? <laughs> to say, look, life is temporary. Do you hear that missile? Life is short. Next one could be on us, right? So it was really just a miracle to see. We've seen Tots, uh, opportunities to speak with uh, injured Ukrainian soldiers. You can see there the camouflage, New Testaments that we were given giving out and uh, just to be able to share with them again God's love God's answer for death is Christ God's answer for our sin problem is Christ Christ is the answer and uh, we've literally been able to speak with hundreds of of uh, injured Ukrainian soldiers and almost to a man they want to go back and fight for the freedom of Ukraine none of them are trying to run away from it they they want to fight for Ukraine's freedom so pray for Ukraine uh, pray for what's going on right now pray for peace in Ukraine uh, pray for Ukrainian believers to know the presence of God as never before. Uh, I would say this: that in Ukraine right now, there's almost an awakening of of uh, souls as far as those that are hearing, responding to the gospel. But there's also a revival in churches. Ukrainian believers. We were in a city in the very southern part of Ukraine, right next to the Moldovan border. They had a number of Ukrainian refugees there, and we went there to minister to the refugees. And uh, it was a Friday evening, I believe, and at uh, 6 p.m., all of a sudden you started hearing the sirens going off, impending missiles. And I'm thinking, well, are they going to have their service tonight? I mean, do we go to a bomb shelter? What are we doing here? And, of course, they meet that night. And you're sitting there the whole time you're in the church service that night. You're thinking, man, there's going to be a missile hit us, and we're all going to enter into glory together. Well, hallelujah! Let's, you know. And I, I was on the platform, and they had a, uh, they had their uh, choir up in the loft, and I was listening to them singing. I thought, man, these people are really singing with passion. And then down below that evening, when we had our time of prayer, that time of corporate prayer at the end. I mean, this just, they were praying with a fervency. I mean, you'd hear people praying and then, amen, Lord. And it was just this wonderful time of corporate prayer. And I started thinking about that. You know, if if I knew that at any, or thought that at any moment of time I was entering into eternity and and I was going to be face to face with the Lord, I would be singing with more passion. I'd be praying with more fervency, right? I I can't think of a better definition of revival than that. So what's happened is Ukrainian believers have been stripped of all these material things, their wealth, homes, some family, personal relationships, and so forth. And you know what they're finding out? Jesus is all we need to be satisfied. Jesus is enough. And see, I think in America we miss that because we have so many things, right? But over there those things have been stripped away. And really, I think it's, it's, it's brought revival. So pray for Ukraine. Pray for the lost ones that are there. Pray for peace to come to Ukraine. There you see the Ukrainian flag upside down. What's that mean? In distress. And uh, there you see our fund. We appreciate your prayers for our fund. compassion for Ukraine. Thank you for your gift. And uh, just that the Lord would continue working. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm not uh, Franklin Graham, and this is not Samaritan's Purse. You know, my, my driving thing is, is church planting and, uh, and training. I love those things. But, uh, but I do believe this is what God had us to do for this time. Uh, I've learned a lot since we've really been traveling to do this. One of the things is, you know, you'd see like with the Red Cross, every dollar that's given to the Red Cross, only about 11 cents gets to the field. Another ministry I know of, uh, a well-known ministry... Every dollar that's given, only about 35 cents gets to the field. You know, majority of it's used for overhead, to pay for buildings, to pay for salaries, and so forth. Well, right now, what's given to us, to compassion for Ukraine, that's all going. We're not taking anything. This is my accounting department right here. She's literally on our phone. She's got all the receipts. She was doing the work today in the car as we were driving, keeping up. They send her receipts every day from what's being being spent over there and, and updated so it's all going to the field to Ukraine to be used there for, for what's going on there. So we would very much appreciate your prayers for, for that as well, okay? Anybody have any questions tonight about Ukraine or about what's going on? Uh-huh. Go ahead, Pastor. Got one up there. We and... <clears throat>
0: got one
1: here. Agent uh, view. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's good man Okay, I don't know what that is. Okay, but anyway, how long did it take you to learn to speak Ukrainian?
1: Uh-huh. Well, we had studied Russian when we were in Lithuania. So that gave us a big help because while we were in Lithuania, we had studied. And then when we came to Ukraine, I continued to study. Julie's already very good at it. But now we're finding, like, even when I was on the western or eastern side of the country which is more ethnically Russian, like Kharkiv and down that eastern side of Ukraine, more ethnic Russians. They're Ukrainians. They have Ukrainian citizenship, but ethnically they're Russian. And when we were there, uh, uh, Sergey would ask, what language do you want me to interpret in? And you know what? I was surprised. They said Ukrainian. So even Russian-speaking people now are very upset. It's been pretty unbelievable what Mr. Putin... All the bombing he did on that eastern side, that was his own people ethnically that he was bombing. So they're like, give us Ukrainian Bibles, preach to us in Ukrainian. It's been very fascinating to see. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh-huh.
0: uh, The Bibles that you were handing out, do you know if any of those were the ones that we assembled here?
1: Well, the ones early on that we distributed, I know were uh, printed uh, through Couriers for Christ. We printed those in Poland. Poland. Uh, but some of the ones that we have now I'm not sure where they came from So it would be possible if you sent some over In fact, we have another shipment I just got notice that's coming to us I think it's about 60,000 New Testaments That are coming our way So I don't know if you had any That's probably,
0: we put about 25 of those together Oh, did you? Is, if it's coming out of Milford, I'm not sure uh-huh. But yeah, uh, we did 25 here a few months ago Okay And uh, uh, the did you get the colored paged ones? Did you see those where they were yellow page, yellow paper New Testaments?
1: I didn't see those those okay. yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those those have been distri- distributed. I think uh, that was out of Bearing Precious Seed, Milford, for what it's worth. But uh-huh. anyway, yeah. I just had a conversation today about getting more there. But, uh I think it was today or yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, any other questions?
1: Got one up nope. top there, Pastor.
0: How dangerous is it for the truck drivers? delivering the aid. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, at at the early part of the war, when Russia came down from Belarus, it was very dangerous uh, because that highway that goes across was just being fired upon, missiles going. I mean, very, very dangerous. We had one driver that went up into Chernigiv, I believe it was, and uh, crossed over. There were two of them. They crossed over the bridge into the city to deliver aid. And right after they crossed over, the bridge got taken out, hit by a missile. They ended up stranded there for about seven to ten days. I mean, it was very dangerous. I've seen pictures of another guy. Uh, He was shot at, ran into the shelter to take aid to people down in the shelter, and even seen video of him preaching to people from the shelter, uh, trying to direct their hope to Christ, you know. Uh, So it, it can be very dangerous. For a while there, they were taking another route to get to Kharkiv. They had to go way down south and come up. And again, it it just added multiple hours to their trip. Uh, Right now, it's been safer to travel that that route through uh, Kiev to get to get to the east, but still very dangerous with the drones and all the things that are going. Julie's sharing that sometimes there's a problem with gasoline and getting gasoline. Which can be an issue as well, but uh, yes.
0: a yeah, a question. Yeah. Uh-huh. First, thanks for coming out. This is so interesting because uh, it's really, it's really, you know, neat to hear how God's moving behind the mm-hmm. scenes. But you know, the war's been going on for a while, um, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of organizations that have mobilized, you know, all over the country giving out aid and such. Are you guys seeing like any of the cult activities, like Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, those types of?
1: No, I haven't. And I haven't seen the Orthodox Church either. Really amazing. I mean, you don't see them reaching out to help or trying to give their people. Of course, they don't have any true hope to give them. But reaching out, trying to comfort them, I just don't see them. I I haven't seen them at all. Are they still
0: meeting in those Greek Orthodox
1: churches? I would assume they're having meetings of some kind, but I just don't see them out, Hmm. you know, trying to reach out to their people. Somebody shared with me their thought that one of the reasons this is, is because if Russia takes over, they don't want to get their names on the bad list, you know, and that because if Russia takes over, they'll they'll get in trouble if they were doing such such things. So, kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. If Russia does take over, the the country will close up to the God. We won't be able to get back in. But the ones that have been trained and the one pastors that are there, like Dima and some of the. Those are the ones that are going to have to carry forward the work if we can't get back in, but one other thing on the Red Cross, early in the war, I had contacted the Red Cross and because we had a connection with the United States government, and I was telling them, look, if we ha- we are a faith based organization in Ukraine, we're registered with the government, we have we have pastors, we'll deliver the aid we're going right to the edges of the war. Just give us some aid and we'll deliver it for you. And they kind of gave me the old don't call us, we'll call you routine. Well, then about two weeks ago, we were traveling somewhere, and I heard on the radio the Red Cross is having trouble getting aid distributed in the eastern parts of Ukraine. And I'm thinking, well, they don't have to have that problem because we offered to distribute aid for them in that area. So it's very sad. I mean, the charitable fund stuff, it was really an eye-opener for me. Not only does only 11 cents of the dollar you know, get to the field, but another thing what I fear is that uh, a lot of the aid that does get there is manipulated and sold uh, in different things. So it's it's just a sad thing. All right. Anybody else? All right. Well, we'll be here afterwards to talk. And you want me to take four minutes, five minutes here with the, the word of God? All right. All right. Just do this real quick. Just look with me for a moment in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and we'll be done. And I wish I had more time to preach this. I, I love to preach and, uh, and to share God's word. Um, but there is so much going on with Ukraine and so much, you know, we just don't have time to share all the details. But do pray for Ukraine. And look at Paul's thought here in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse number 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So you see Paul here pleading for the prayers of God's people. He does this in Colossians, Ephesians, Hebrews, right? Uh, Corinthians, Romans, he does it. uh, Or he commends them for praying in 2 Corinthians. But he says, finally, brethren, pray for us and look specifically what he asks prayer for. Number one, that the word of the Lord may have free course. In other words, that the gospel would be unhindered. that that the gospel would have the freedom to be preached, that there would be what he calls in Colossians open doors of utterance for the gospel to go out. Listen, in our world today, it's estimated that 70% of the world has never heard a true gospel presentation. I pastored up here in Raymore. I'm just telling you, I met people that had never heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a friend from Topeka, Kansas said, Derek, I was 36 years old until I ever heard the gospel for the first time. How can it be today that 70% of the world has not heard the gospel of Christ? Of that 70%, about 40% are unreached with the gospel. Unreached. What was the great commission of Christ? Going to where? All the world. To every creature. Coca-Cola today is about 145 years old. Do you know that Coca-Cola logo is is recognized in 97% of the world? So in less than 150 years... Coca-Cola has their logo out to 97% of the world, but in 2,000 years, the church has only gotten the gospel out to about 30% of the world. There's a lot more to say about that, but I'm just going to tell you, if we're going to make a difference in seeing the world hear that gospel, it's going to start in prayer by us getting on our knees and our hands and our faces before God and coming boldly before His throne of grace and saying, God, open doors of utterance. Let your gospel have free course. Let the word of the Lord have free course. That's his first request. Look at his second one. And be glorified even as it is with you. Not just for the opportunity to preach the gospel, but for the gospel to be empowered as he preaches it, that it would hit the mark, that it would bring conversions to Christ. You think about that. Paul, when he writes to the church in Thessalonica in the first letter, He he writes to them, when I first came to you, I didn't come in word only, but I came in power and I came in the Spirit. My friends, we we need the hand and power of God, right? And this gospel, when it goes forth to places like Tajikistan or Laos or even in Orthodox Ukraine, you know what's needed for that gospel to, to be received? God must be convicting of sin of righteousness and of judgment to come, right? And if that conviction is not happening, I'm just telling you, I don't care how well you prepared your message, I don't care what illustrations you use, nothing's going to happen unless God is moving, right? So he says, pray for me for the open door to preach, but pray for me that when I preach, the gospel will be glorified even as it is with you. And then number three in verse number two, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men... For all men have not faith so that they would be protected. As I take this Gospel, listen, the Gospel of Christ confronts the culture. And it's calling the culture to what? To repentance. What's repentance? Acknowledging that our belief system is wrong. Acknowledging that I'm a sinner before a holy God. And then to turn to Christ and say you through you and you alone can I have forgiveness. Salvation is not a reward Uh, that I merit, but it's a gift that you have paid for by your blood. And today, Lord Jesus, I come humbly and broken to you to receive that gift. So Paul is saying, pray for me that God would preserve me and keep me and guard me as we go forth. I would say today for our Ukrainian pastors and team that's working, listen, yesterday received many uh, uh, just people who calling or sending notes, voicemails, different things, that are very discouraged because of the bombings, the war, without electricity, dark hours upon hours. You could tell it was a little bit discouraging to them. Pray for their protection. Pray for God to, to keep them and watch over them as they travel, as they do the gospel ministry. Let me just close with this thought: in uh, in the book of uh, Exodus, and the uh, let's see, the 17th chapter. There you have. Uh, Paul or Paul. There you have Moses uh, up on the hill. You have Joshua going down into the valley. I'm tired. You have Joshua, Paul. How did I get Paul in Exodus? You didn't know Paul was in Exodus? What? Don't you guys know the Bible? Paul was there. Uh, Moses is up on the hill. Joshua has gone down into the valley to battle against the Amalekites, right? And Moses is up on the hill. What's Moses doing? His hands are lifted up in prayer to God, right? Dependence on God. As his hands are lifted, lifted up, Joshua and the army of Israel is experiencing victory in the valley down below. Moses gets tired. His hands come down, and what happens down in the valley? Joshua starts to lose, doesn't he? All of a sudden, Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses. Man, we got to help Moses get his hands back up. Prayers are ascending back up now to God, and what happens to Joshua down below? Starts winning, and the victory is won. Moses' hands are kept up until the victory is won. Okay, so here's my question for you. Where was the victory won? In prayer, okay? So think of it in these terms. When you, I, I went by your mission board out there. So you have these missionaries, mission wall. You have these missionaries that you've sent in all these various places in the world. They've answered God's call. They've gone down into the valley to do the hand-to-hand combat. And, and if a missionary is worth his salt, going down into that valley... I mean, he's happy to do it. He sees that calling as something special from God. It's a privilege to do it. But now us who have been called to stay, what's our calling? To go up on the hill and to lift them up in prayer. God, may your word have free course in the country where they are. Lord, open doors of utterance for them there. God, bring down these strongholds that Satan has developed there, these hindrances that he has given there. Lord, give them uh, laborers there in their field that they can train nationals that can do the work of the ministry. And Lord, let the gospel as they're preaching it, let it be specially empowered of thy spirit that hearts can see the need, that they can understand the truth of Christ. I read a story today uh, sent by a fellow missionary of a woman uh, I think in Afghanistan and, and how she had just stumbled, trying she couldn't understand the gospel. She was Muslim, you know, Jesus was a prophet, but what are you talking about? And they were memorizing John 3:16, and all of a sudden it clicked. That's what he did. He died for me, right? He died that I might have life. He paid for my sins. And she received Christ and became became a, a follower of Christ. Hallelujah. Pray for that gospel to be glorified and pray for them as they labor there in their fields that God would protect them and preserve them and keep them, right? Pray until the victory's won. So I would ask you this question tonight. Whose work is more important? Joshua who went down into the valley with the sword and the army or Moses, Aaron, and Hur who went up on the hill? I'm saying tonight, your work up on the hill is more important. If God's work and His glory are going to be known in these countries, your work on the hill is more important. And we have to understand that and see that our our relationship with our missionaries is a partnership. We're on a team working together. And by sending those missionaries, you've recognized God's call in their life. And so you're sending them. And so you give financial gifts to them and praise God for your commitment to give financial gifts to them but you have a greater commitment to them than your financial gifts. It's your prayers to God for them. So go up to the hill and lift them up in prayer until the victory is won. And one day in heaven, you're going to meet souls and someone's going to come to you and thank you for praying. Maybe it'll be from Ukraine or maybe from Laos and somebody will say, listen, you don't know this, but that time when you were praying for that tall missionary, you know that weird guy from Lee Summit area? You were praying, and God answered your prayer. And all of a sudden, while he was preaching, something clicked in my mind. And I understood that I was that lost sinner. I understood that I needed Jesus Christ to save me. And right there, I bowed in repentance and faith and trusted in Christ. Thank you for praying for me. So brethren, pray for us. Amen? Amen. Pastor.
0: That was amazing amazing uh, presentation. I lament that I was so windy on the front end because I, I stole a lot of his time, and I apologize for that, brother. Um, and so uh, if that didn't move you guys, I mean, that, that is just a real battle. So, uh, Pastor, one of the things that we believe in around here is, is fighting real battles, not getting caught up in superfluous activities. And I know we're a little over time, uh, but I want to do this, and that's my fault. So let's do this. Let's not talk about praying. Let's do it just real quick. Let's pray uh, right now, just like we would on Sunday night. Grab the people around you. I know all of you here. Um, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, that's fine. But let's just have a season of prayer, and uh, that's how we're going to end tonight. And let's be specifically praying for the things that He asks. Right? There needs to be doors of utterance that God, the gospel goes forth. We need to be praying specifically. Uh, we we saw a lot of information. Right, but specifically, let's drill down on these saints that are that God is using. They need your, they need God's protection from you know wicked and unreasonable men. And then we need to pray that God's glorified, right? That the doors are open, the gospel goes forth, and the people receive the word of God as it is in truth, the very words of God. And the gospel continues to be prosperous there. And we need to do our part. So let's not just talk about it and leave. Right? I know there's prayer teams and we're praying, we've got that going on, but. Let's do what we're we're called to do right now. So let's just have a a season of prayer, and then I'll close this up, and then we'll be dismissed. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer together.